Welcome to the OVC Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Schwartz, Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communications at the Ohio Valley Conference. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us wherever you download your podcast with complete information at ovcsports.com slash podcast. We continue our OVC 75th year podcast series with former OVC Commissioner, Dr. John A. Steinbrecher, who is now the Commissioner at the Mid-American Conference. John was the sixth full-time commissioner in OVC history and followed Dan Beebe, who was featured on this podcast series earlier. During his time at the OVC, John negotiated a television deal that included putting games on ESPNU, helped the league secure the hosting rights to the 2014 Women's Final Four, and put a big emphasis on sportsmanship. He also hired me as an assistant commissioner for media relations in 2006, which 16 years later, I think turned out to be a pretty good decision for the league. Now, my conversation with John Steinbrecher. John, thanks for taking time to join us on the OVC podcast as we celebrate our 75th year at the OVC. Kyle, it's so good to be with you. Well, uh, this one's extra special for me since you hired me and I wouldn't be here doing this podcast. And we want our listeners just to learn a little bit more about all of our former commissioners. So I'm going to start at the beginning about, you know, I know your dad was uh, highly involved in athletics and you played sports growing up. So talk about growing up and and just being around sports. Well, uh, go back to when I was born and first eight, nine years, my dad was a, was a professor and he was a coach. He coached football and wrestling uh, at Valparaiso University in Indiana. And then um, he left uh, the coaching world and went to Appalachian State and was a professor there for basically another decade. And then as I was getting ready to enter college, he went back to Valparaiso as the director of athletics and he spent 25 years there as the director of athletics. And that's really where I got interested in the world of uh, athletics administration. Hadn't really thought about it prior to that. I, you know, growing up, played all the youth sports, played a lot, you know, played three sports in high school, uh, really enjoyed it, ended up in, and I ended up going to Valparaiso University, played, played two sports there. I played football and tennis. I'm the only person in school's history to play that combination. And it, it was marvelous. I mean, it's, I, you played on what is kind of, to some extent, the ultimate team sport. It's a lot of logistics around it. It's very regimented. And then tennis, although to some extent it's a team sport, but it's really an individual sport. And they're just managed differently, operate differently, uh, different skill sets uh, for coaches, for players, et cetera, and learned a lot through both. And just had a wonderful experience on the field, had a wonderful experience off the field. And through all that, I decided I wanted to pursue a career in intercollegiate athletics administration. And so once you graduate, then what's your plan? I know you, you, you probably have some connections and I know where you ended up, but that summer after graduation, how did you uh, get towards the, you know, eventually working the mid-continent? Well, uh, started off, I went and did a master's in sports administration at Ohio University. Uh, from there, did an internship at Davidson College in North Carolina, had a wonderful experience there for a year. And then from there, I went to Indiana University and did a doctorate in higher education and physical education. And it was about three and a half, four year process doing that. And it was, uh, again, another wonderful experience academically, a chance to, to think and to learn and to question. Uh, Off outside the classroom, I had a teaching, I had a teaching assistantship, and I also had an assistantship in the athletics department, kind of did events management, ticketing. Uh, I was staffing the ticket office 
the night that Bobby Knight pulled his team off the floor when they were playing the Russians. Uh, did it at halftime and ended up with 17,000 really upset fans wanting wow. refunds. <laughs> so I learned a little bit about customer service that evening. Um, and then from there, you know, I finally completed my doctorate and couldn't get a job. And it was incredibly frustrating. Ended up, my wife and I, we moved into my parents' basement and I was substitute teaching. She was working a nurse. And then a, a, what was then a fairly new conference based in Chicago called the Mid-Continent Conference. A uh, number of Midwestern Division I institutions were in it. Commissioner reached out and said, look, I, I, I don't have a salary line for you, but I can put you to work. And so I commuted into Chicago for a year for free and got my foot in the door. And the next year they created position. And four years after that, he left, took another position. They did a, nat a national search and boom, lo and behold, I'm the youngest division one commissioner in the country and kind of a good news, bad news kind of thing. It's as you're probably in about any profession you're at, you want to grow and achieve and 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 maybe get to the top and so yeah boom you get to that ceo position and then you get there and go oh my goodness <laughs> i there's so much i don't know right yes and but you, you learn by doing and had a a, a, a very engaging and uh fast moving nine years there as commissioner well there's two parts there i want to ask and i was reading a story about you about how long it took you to commute and then you had to take the train and then walk. I, I don't think, I mean, I know people work hard now, but when you want a job that's in college athletics and you really want to do it, you kind of make sacrifices like that that aren't easy. Well, you know, you, you're right. You've got to, if you want, you got to get your foot in the door somewhere and you find out how bad you want it. Right. And so I took the, there's a, a, a commuter train that runs through Northwest Indiana into downtown Chicago called the South Shore. And it's about 10 miles north of where my parents' house was. And so I'd get up, I'd leave the house at 5.30 every morning, get the six o'clock train, would drop me off in downtown Chicago at seven. And I had a half hour walk each way. And there you go. And then I'd catch the uh, 5.30 train home. I'd get home around seven and then you'd do it again, right? And, but you're young and you're, you're excited and that's, it's, you just, you're investing in yourself. And uh, I, I guess I would say I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope your commute's better now in Cleveland than, uh, than that was. Uh, but you mentioned also about being the commissioner. I think what your background did, right. There's not one skill set. You need to know about a bunch of different things to, to run a division one conference. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, there's just a broad array of things that we have our hands in. There's the, there's the nuts and bolts things, right. The, the scheduling of games, the signing of officials, uh, NCAA and conference rules compliance and stuff like that, public relations, media relations programs, uh, marketing and sponsorships, televisions, all that stuff. And then it's learning how to manage staff, how to hire staff, how to motivate staff, uh, how to, if you're a conference commissioner, a big part of your job is building consensus among your membership on what are our goals, what are our vision, and how do we drive to those? And you don't, I, I think the best leaders, you don't just let that happen. You work collectively and identify what you want to be, how you want to be, how you want to get there. 
and you, you know, you push toward it. And um, it's, uh, it's a full-time, a lot of communications, a lot of scanning the environment. I, I talk about in, in a conference office, I've, I've always talked about a conference is a service organization. The conference exists to service the membership. The membership doesn't service the conference. It's the other way around. And so as a leader, I, I always think of this continuum. On one end is, I'll say, leadership, uh, um, almost an autocratic leadership, but leadership. On the other end is service. And somewhere in the middle is where you have to be as the leader of that organization. Sometimes you have to push more. Sometimes it's listening and, and bringing people around and bringing people together. And so it's kind of a moving target on what you're doing based on whatever the issue may be. Does it get, and we're talking about what you're doing now, but does it get easier? You went from a, a conference that didn't play football to an FCS conference now to an FBS conference. You know, those experiences when you start in the smaller end, does that make it easier when you get to the, the higher levels? Well, you know what? Experience is incredibly valuable, but I will also say that things continue to come up on a at least monthly basis, is not weekly basis. That you say, "My goodness, how did this happen? How do we deal with it?" The difference is you've been through stuff time and time and time, and you've developed um, a methodology of how to work through problems. And you have greater confidence in yourself to be able to just take a step back, take a deep breath. Here's how we work the problem. Um, and, and so that more than anything else is just having that confidence that, yeah, we can figure this out. So what led to the OV, when OVC job comes open, what led your interest in, in coming here? Well, I'd been at the Mid-Continent Conference for nine years at that time, and I was ready, I was ready to move on. That's, that's a pretty lengthy tenure. And I was interested, if at all possible, in getting to a conference that had football, loved football, grew up around football, played football. Uh, and so when the OVC position came open, I believe Dan Beebe, in fact, nominated me for, okay. for the position. Uh, I think one other person did as well. But I was, I was uh, pleased to be able to get into the finalist pool and to interview. And it's interesting, I actually interviewed for the position the day after our uh, Mid-Continent Conference tournament champion, basketball tournament champion, played in the first and second round in Nashville by chance. And the next day uh, in Nashville, I, I interviewed for the position and uh, really, really came out of the interview. And I thought, wow, I, I felt really good about that. I said, I, I, I can't do any better. If that's not what they want, so be it. But so I was thrilled on that next Monday now I interviewed on Saturday, and so I, I don't get. I made the mistake of not asking. Okay, when are when are you going to let us know? <laughs> and so I kind of thought, well, I'll get a call on on Sunday. Didn't get a call, so I was really kind of uh, bummed out on on Monday morning. I was like, golly, I didn't didn't get this. I really wanted it. And then about noon that day, uh, Dr. Ken Dobbins at at Southeast Missouri State, who was then I, he chaired the search committee. And he reached out and uh, offered me the position, and I, I could not have been happier. So, you know, you, you followed Jim Delaney and Dan Beebe, two uh, really influential people. What did you want to accomplish? What did you need to do in your first couple of months or year at, on a job? Well, 
I think the first thing you do when you come in is uh, you listen. Uh, don't come in and think you know all the answers. There's a lot of bright people wherever you go. Uh, they probably know what they're doing to some extent. So let's come in. Let's listen. What, let's identify what the issues are. There are there, what are the challenges, and then how do we go about doing them? Uh, we all probably have different strengths and weaknesses. I probably brought a little more of a, a marketing uh, push. Uh, you know, we 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 worked really hard on trying to generate some revenue through uh, corporate partnerships and had some success at that, uh, especially early on. That really helped, I think, build some momentum and build some confidence in in what we were trying to do, and. And, and then I always looked at everything we do should help us build our brand. And so we were aggressive in trying to pursue NCAA championship hosting opportunities. So we pursued hosting men's uh, first and second round or regionals again. Uh, you know, it was us that came up with the idea. Let's go after that women's final four. And I led the bid effort on that. And it was a great thing. And then and then you left right after that. So well, you weren't apart. You I was working with Gary Alexander, who, who was uh, kind of the chief operating officer of the sports commission uh, in Nashville. And we spent a lot of time working on this along with a bunch of other people. And it, it is a laborious effort. It, it takes a lot of time and effort, but it was a labor of love. It truly was. But we jokingly said to each other, let's land this thing and we'll both get out of town. And lo and behold, we landed it, and like four months later, I ended up with another job, and it was just a fluke of all things, but um, that was an awful lot of fun. But, you know, things like that, or, uh, you know, I was trying to develop rivalries if we could, where maybe they wouldn't, or there are other things we could do that would stimulate interest. So developing the Sergeant York Award, for instance, which was man, one of, one of the favorite things I've ever done because it combined my passion for history uh, with athletics. I'd been a, a longtime uh, fan of Sergeant York and everything he had done as both a soldier and then coming back as an educator and trying to assist the, the children of the state of Tennessee. And it was, you know, those sorts of things, those were just great fun. And that's Sergeant York trophy and people can go to our website and search it it's a pretty cool trophy and it's super heavy. And I, if people, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, check out that and the, the Tennessee football schools play for that. And it's pretty cool. Um, so just a couple of their things, web streaming, that wasn't something that you, that was happening in 2006, OVC sports.tv. So how long had you been thinking about what needed to be done digitally? Well, again, we needed to grow our exposure opportunities whenever and however we could. At that time, when I came in, we had a very small uh, ESPN deal. We basically got our, our basketball championship game on and maybe one other event a year. And so got to work immediately on, hey, can we, can we change this? Can we renegotiate it? And then shortly thereafter, was able to renegotiate our deal with ESPN, and it coincided uh, at the same time that ESPNU was being developed. So we, in fact, signed the first contract, 
that involved ESPNU. We played the first live events on ESPNU, which were our two men's semifinal games in our basketball tournament that year. And we took our the number of exposures we got on ESPN from like two to 14. And I think we at least doubled our race fee. I, I, I can't remember all that, but that. But then as a corollary to that, how else can we grow it? Started the digital network. And, you know, it was a, a, a slow step-by-step process. We learned by doing. Um, it was reasonably new technology. And so you had to get uh, people comfortable with it. And it took time and it was different. But look where we are today now, right? Exactly. It's commonplace. It's, it's, in fact, now most of us have it as part of our deal with whoever our primary television carrier is, be ESPN, Fox, or whatever. And if a game isn't on TV somewhere, on streaming, people are shocked, right? That's like, if there's a softball game, it's going to be streamed somewhere. In fact, we'll get complaints if we have a game on and somehow it ends up on a linear platform that doesn't also have a, a streaming component. Uh, sportsmanship was a big deal for you, too. Can you talk about some of the things that you, know, you did or wanted to do to make sure that everybody was acting the way they should? Well, I, I guess it's a passion of mine for whatever reason. I... I think it speaks to um, our values. We all talk about it. We just don't always positively reinforce uh, that. And we tend to, we're all in favor of sportsmanship until it's our team person who goofs up. And then we get the story, well, he's a good person. He just, you know, had a bad day. I get all that. But you learn a lot about people by how they deal with adversity. And you know what? Sometimes people goof up. And when that occurs, we need to be willing to step up and say, you know what? That's not how we're going to do it. Uh, and so we put in place, you know, an overarching sportsmanship award. And then I believe one in each sport. Yes. And again, let's positively reinforce uh, where we where we see really good sportsmanship and celebrate that instead of just always focusing on the negative. You know, I want to talk about some big events. You mentioned the women's final four. You all actually, you're going to get a host in Cleveland in 2024, right? So finally you'll be a part of that hosting uh, part. You know, um, it was funny when we were doing the bid. Uh, and again, I led the bid and we're down in Tampa for the final presentations. We'd gone through the whole presentation and now it's question and answer time. And I'm standing there. The first question I get is, John, if you get the final four, are you going to stick around this time? <laughs> I will say you're right. It was all the pre stuff is a lot of work. Then when it comes to fruition that weekend, it is pretty cool for whatever your city you're in. It makes a big splash, obviously. Um, Moorhead State won an NCAA tournament game near the end of your tenure in Dayton. It had been 13 years since the OVC won. I, I sort of just had my recollections of looking at you and remembering that night because it was sort of like the monkey off the back. People said, oh, you haven't won a game in forever but they finally did that night. What do you remember about that? Well, we had finally, and it taken a lot of time. We started putting in place some, some parameters around scheduling and things like, you know, let's, let's try and be strategic in some of the stuff we did. And it's, you, you don't get into the NCAA tournament. You don't win games by scheduling, but it's part of the equation you need to put together, right? You, you, you've got to hire really good coaches who recruit and train and motivate really good student athletes. 
You need to have the scheduling part to position yourself, prepare you, all those things. And so, yeah, we, we got that win and it really ended up starting a streak for the conference of boom on a, you know, every couple of years, boom, another game, another, you know, those sorts of things. And that was great to see because it, it was a league that, you know, has such a, a, a wonderful tradition and passion around basketball. And so to be able to, to finally uh, experience a little success in the NCAA tournament. And, and with that comes, uh, you know, some notoriety and it just lifts the profile of your league in ways that nothing else does. Um, if, if I said, what, what was special about the OVC during your time? What, what people, things, what, what can you say that maybe were the most special things? Um, you know what? It was, it was a nice, unique group of schools. They were fairly uh, cohesive geographically. They had fairly similar, um, they were fairly similar schools and experiences and budgets and all those things. There was a lot of sameness and that's, that's important. And it, it, I think it helped strengthen and keep the league, kept the league pulled together at that time. And again, there were some longstanding rivalries that are really hard to replicate. You know, the Austin P Murray state stuff, the, uh, uh, Tennessee Tech and Tennessee State. Uh, uh, gosh, we could go on Moorhead and Eastern Kentucky. And, you know, we, we could just keep on going on all those things. And th those are wonderful things. Uh, so then you get the call to go to the Mid-American Conference. So how and then you became so you're the first commissioner to be all three subdivisions, the non-football D1, the FCS and the FBS. So how did the, the MAC job come about? Well, uh their commissioner had announced in, I don't know, December, or January, that he was going to pursue other things. Uh, their, their search firm uh, that they were utilizing reached out, asked, would I have some interest in considering it? Um, said yes. Uh, got involved in the search process. Uh, actually, uh, we had our basketball tournament. The day after our finals concluded, I flew up to Indianapolis, uh, interviewed, it was a semifinal interview. They were interviewing 10 people, uh, interviewed, came back. Uh, Monday of that week, found out I was one of three finalists. And then uh, Ann and I drove up to Indianapolis the next weekend uh, to meet with their presidents uh, and was fortunate to be selected. I, I was, uh, but it was, I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it was hard. I, uh, was incredibly conflicted because I had so much love for, for what we were doing in the OVC. It was a very hard job to move from, but uh, at the same time, the chance to go to an FBS league and some of the, you know, work with bowl games now and, and some of the stuff that comes with that. Um, and uh, glad I did. It was a, a, a challenging position I came into but I had been well prepared because of the things I had experienced at the OVC or at the Mid-Continent Conference. Outside of FBS versus FCS, like the, the MAC and the OVC seem to have a lot of similarities. The seventh oldest, the eighth oldest conference, geographically friendly conferences, which is not the norm these days. So it seemed like that, did that help lead to your decision and on some of the positives of the MAC? Well, it did. And I've I had always been, 
a, a fan of the Mid-American Conference. I, I think they played at a high level with uh, modest resources, and that's not easy to do. They have broad-based programs, championships in 24 sports. Uh, and in virtually every one of those sports, a couple of the teams that are at the top of the league in those sports are really competitive nationally. And so it's it's really been fun to watch that and be a part of it. You know, we've had teams go deep, won national championships in men's soccer. We've got a lot of really good wrestling programs. We've got really good men's soccer programs. We've basketball. We've, you know, won games in the tournament three of the past four years. I could keep on going down the line. I think we were we were the first Midwestern team in 25 years to get a to get a baseball team to the College World Series. You know, just fascinating and amazing things that some of our teams and student athletes and coaches have have achieved. And so it's been fun to to be a part of that. You had, I mean, you were learning more. What's the bowl game situation like? How's it dealing with that and working those contracts and those relationships? Well, it's you, you, your last word is, is spot on. It's relationships, right? It's how do we build those relationships, trying to figure out what value can we bring to that entity? And part of it is, can we bring fans there? If we're not going to bring a lot of fans, what can we do? Can I, how can I help promote them? And things like that. And so... I look at it almost in the same way that a, uh, a development officer would look at a fundraising thing, right? Uh, you build the relationship, you cultivate that relationship, and you continue to, to invest in that relationship. And then hopefully you, you build strong partnerships and you end up with some, some neat opportunities. And then we've tried to be entrepreneurial. You know, was was aggressive. We helped set up the bowl game in the Bahamas, helped set up the bowl game in, in Myrtle Beach, in uh, Orlando, in, gosh, uh, Boca Raton, in Montgomery, and, you know, things like that, partnering with the right people, finding people, bringing them together, and, and helping uh, facilitate some really neat postseason opportunities for our kids. You talked about branding earlier. One of the things, obviously, your conference is known for, Maction. And just, I mean, everybody knows about that, the flying the flag. Just your, your team is very talented, obviously. Talk about some of that and that emphasis that, you know, nationwide getting, getting the MAC uh, mentioned. You know, it's unique in that Maction. You hear Maction and everybody thinks about the Mid-American Conference and they think about our midweek football, right? And so that's, we, we had had this, I didn't bring midweek football to the Mid-American Conference, but I sure get credit for it way too often. Um, but we had it. And then what evolved out of that, somewhere in the Twitterverse, came this term Maction. And it generally evolved because we were having a lot of high-flying, shootout-type games, and it just caught the imagination. So we pursued it, we, we copyrighted it, and we ran with it. And, you know, we've we talk about it and talk about it and boom, it's, it's provided us with an identity nationally. Uh, the fly the flag thing is I wanted to do something to give us something to rally around. And so we talked about, you know, every time we beat a non-conference opponent, we're going to fly the flag. And it gave us start to build a tradition around that. And we do that and we, we have fun with it. And it started privately. I used, I had developed this little, Mac pirate flag that we just had on a, you know, a JPEG or something. And every time we'd have a non-conference win, I'd email the coach, the AD and the president say, Hey, fly the flag. Congratulations. 
And then I finally said, enough with this. We're going to celebrate this stuff publicly. Bought everybody flags and all this stuff and did, did a video with me in a pirate outfit. And Which was really that. good. Had lots of fun with that. And we will still do that. And it's just a chance for us to, you know, pull together, collectively have a chip on our shoulder and take on the world and celebrate our successes. Because when, when we're, we, we're, we're bitter rivals when we play in conference, but when we're playing everybody else, it's us against all of them. And we want to pull together and everybody lifts everybody up. One of the other things that you've done a good job with is like people talk about this student athlete experience. You've really, you brought them into the governance structure. Uh, you all have done a lot of things for them, help mental health wise. Talk about that importance. A lot of people say they want to help the student athlete, but it seems like you all really are. Well, we, we listen to our student athletes and it started early on. Um, uh, I challenged our students that we were talking about, you know, there were issues surrounding, you know, how much should kids practice? How much should they have time off? So I challenged our student athletes, come up with something, come up with some recommendations for us. And so they put together this marvelous white paper. And from that, we, in fact, developed our own policies around time obligations for student athletes. We turned that over to the NCAA, and that became the basis for what became the NCAA's uh, time obligations or time demands rules and policies. It's because we talked to our student athletes, went to them again and said, where are we maybe not paying enough attention? And this was eight, nine, 10 years ago. And they said, mental health. I said, okay. We put together a group of, of doctors, administrators, faculty, students, a whole bunch of folks and spent about a year and a half thinking about that. What does it mean? What should expectations be? And from that, we developed a conference-wide mental health program, which was the first of its kind. And it really set some baselines for expectations, what services should be available, how they can get them. And a lot of it had to do with education, of removing the stigma around mental health issues, and that we need to treat it like we do a, a busted up shoulder or knee and not hide it in the shadows. And so it's educating our student athletes, educating our coaches and administrators, setting up teams of people that are kind of paying attention and looking out for, hmm, is someone struggling a little bit? Do they maybe need some help? And making sure our student athletes, athletes know where to go if they need assistance, uh, and then making sure we facilitate those ways. Uh, same kind of thing we did with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I really got hacked off. Again, a lot, all institutions talk about we have these great diversity and inclusion programs and all this. And again, this is seven, eight plus years ago. And yet there was a school, it wasn't in our league, it was in another part of the country. They lost their AD and within 18 hours had hired a new AD. Well, they didn't conduct a search. They didn't, and this wasn't someone they elevated from within. And I said, so how can you talk about that you're, you, you honor the values of diversity, equity, inclusion, and that's what you do. And so, again, we put together groups of people. We talked about it, what do we want to do? And for, you know, we talked about, you know, do we have, should we put in place a rule where you have to uh, interview X number of people and things like that? And that is problematic at public institutions, by the way, if people wonder why that doesn't, that type of rule doesn't exist more often. Um, but we diagnosed it as a pipeline problem. 
there is not a big enough pool of diverse candidates coming into the system. And so we challenged ourselves to grow that pool. And so we did it through two ways. One, setting up an internship program uh, in our athletic programs, uh, one each semester, could be in coaching, could be administration, whatever. Uh, and then we did it on the professional level. So we did a mentorship program or are doing a mentorship program where we take a junior staff member, partner them up with a senior staff member. They do things throughout the year together. They do things within our whole program together. We bring them to some meetings that we do. And again, expose them to more of, of the enterprise. And again, building up a database of, of people who are in these things and uh, hopefully, again, broadening that pipeline, bringing a, a, a greater array of people into this wonderful area of intercollegiate athletics. I'll tell our audience, we're taping this weeks before it will air, but, you know, the, so no telling what else is happening. But in the last couple of years, COVID, NIL, expansion, re realignment, just not speaking specifics, but in generalities, what you said, some things don't prepare you for anything. How do you prepare it? What do you do over the last couple of years? It's just crazy. Yeah. And there, there was no book that tells, tells you how to deal with COVID and managing that. And it was, boy, you have to talk a lot and stay in constant communication. What's going on? How you do this? You know, none of us knew about you know, all, all this testing and all these things and how do we figure that out? And that was, you know, we were the first league. We ended up shutting down our football. In fact, all of our sports for a while. We did it because we couldn't get the testing we needed. We couldn't get uh, at that time. You had to use the, the PCR tests. We couldn't get the tests and we couldn't get the results fast enough to make it effective. So we shut down for a while. I challenged our staff. I said, find solutions. So we went out and found solutions and we were able to find an antigen solution that was acceptable, set up a protocol. We were able to bring sports back. We were able to figure out a way to, to fund it, all sorts. I mean, you just grind. You put your head down and you grind is, is, is probably the best I can say. And you work with people, you listen with people. We put together a marvelous group of, of doctors and public health officials in our league that became our medical advisory group that we still use to this day. They provided just invaluable, invaluable feedback and advice to us. And, you know, you, 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 you talk, you listen, you learn. If I, if I could have, my only regret when we shut down, I wish instead of announcing it as a shutdown, we would just said, we're delaying the start of our seasons until we have greater clarity of what was going on. That's the ultimately what we did um, because you learned, don't make decisions before you have to make decisions. Uh, too often in this enterprise, you're dealing with a lot of type A people, right? They want things now, now we've got to, all that. What you learn is, as it turns out, we can, we can turn this ship around pretty quickly if we need to. So let's gather as much information, continue to monitor a, a changing environment and changing information, and then don't make the decision until you have to make the decision. So what is, uh, what's coming down the line next and for, uh, for the Mid-American Conference? What do you foresee being the big things over the next couple of years? Well, obviously, we're in the middle of a transformation process, which, in fact, has been going on for a little bit. I would point to uh, the transfer rules that were implemented really a year, year and a half ago that are now that that's really you could almost point to that as one of the starting points 
of a transformation process. We're working through that. We'll see how all that plays out. Obviously, we continue to have a shifting uh, environment in terms of conference memberships. Schools are moving from here to there. And the question's gonna be, uh, can we figure out a way that we can have a lot of viable entities that are healthy? Or is it gonna evolve down to only a couple that are healthy? Um, I hope we figure out a way that there can be a lot of healthy partners. Uh, that's been good for the enterprise of intercollegiate athletics where there are a lot of winners, but time will tell on that. What is your favorite part of your job? Oh, I, I like the challenge of, of uh, bringing 12 institutions together around, around it, an issue, a topic, and attacking that issue or topic, and then by golly, you know, moving the needle. That's, that's, I, I'm, I'm gratified by that. I'm gratified when we're able to, you know, do something a little different that uh, perhaps no one else has done before. I, you know, what we, what we've done with uh, mental health, what we've done with diversity, equity, inclusion, what we've just recently done with our sports data deal, uh, which is really going to open up uh, a new avenue for virtually everybody. Uh, I, those are fun things to be a part of. So, and personally, you went from Chicago to Nashville to Cleveland. So how has Cleveland been for you and your family? We jokingly say Cleveland was never on the bucket list. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Cleveland is a remarkable city. We've uh, really enjoyed our time there. It is such a diverse place. It's, it's, um, uh, it's either a little big city or a big little city. I'm not sure what, but it has all the amenities you want. Uh, it's got tremendous arts. It's got the largest theater district outside of New York Broadway in the country. Uh, we've got all the sports you want. It's a foodie town. We have incredible restaurants. We great businesses. Just, I, I mean, it's just such a rich, rich city in terms of traditions and ethnicities and cultures. And we've loved all that. Now there's about two months of the year where I get tired of the winter and it's not January and February, but it's probably the end of February, March, and into a little of April where it's you're trying to transition from winter into, into spring, and it just always seems to be about 35 to 45 and gray and wet. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really been uh, a remarkable treat to have lived there. Well, we appreciate your time on this podcast and just all the accomplishments and things you did for the OVC to get us to our 75th year this year, which uh, we're excited to celebrate. Kyle, it was a great privilege to, to be able to serve that conference. I think it's, you know, it has one of the neatest traditions uh, in, in all of intercollegiate athletics, and I wish nothing but the best for, for everyone involved with the Ohio Valley Conference. John had a huge impact on OVC and is now doing great things with the MAC. I hope you've enjoyed these conversations with former OVC commissioners. Each has had such a big impact in the league, maneuvering through different issues. John is unique, and he's the only former OVC commissioner who was a commissioner at another conference before coming to the OVC. As we celebrate our 75th anniversary, we want to hear from a variety of former coaches, players, and administrators to get different perspectives on what has made the OVC so great over the years. Remember to find us on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe to help us spread the word. You can also visit ovcsports.com slash podcasts for information. Until next time, take care.